morning, River City. Like Pastor Jake said, my name's Josh Waite. And um, with my wife, Kate, I lead a CG here at River City. Um, we're so privileged to be a part of this body. In the last couple of years, you all have become family to us, and we love you a lot. So it's also a privilege to share from God's word, and I'm trusting that uh, together we'll be encouraged by it. So Psalm 16 is a song of confidence. A song of confidence. It's a relatively rare category of psalm. Far more often we encounter songs of thanksgiving or even songs of lament. Of course, the the song of thanksgiving and the song of lament give expression to two really different emotional experiences. But there's a striking similarity between the thanksgiving and the lament. In both cases, the circumstance of the psalmist matches the tone of the psalm. So in a moment of triumph and victory, we get thanksgiving. In a moment of despair and sorrow, we get lament. The circumstance matches the tone. But this is what makes the song of confidence so unique and so beautiful. In the song of confidence, there's actually a discord or a dissonance between the circumstance of the psalmist and the tone of the psalm. So in Psalm 16, King David, the main Messiah figure in the Old Testament, is contemplating death itself. The terrible prospect of separation from God and all of the sorrow and vulnerability that would come with it. And yet he possesses an astounding confidence. So in a moment, I'll read Psalm 16 and you'll hear this astounding confidence. A word of warning before I do. You might be tempted to think first about your own lack of confidence by comparison with David. As you meditate on this, you might be preoccupied with thoughts of your own quickness to fear or how susceptible you are to anxiety. You might even hear in Psalm 16 a kind of motivational speech inspiring you to quit being so afraid. And that's actually a wrong place to begin here because Psalm 16 is emphatically not about us. And in fact, it's not even about King David. In his sermon at Pentecost, the Apostle Peter quotes Psalm 16 and explicitly says, it's about Jesus. In his sermon at Antioch, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 16 and explicitly says, it's about Jesus. It can't be about David. Psalm 16 isn't just a poetic expression of David's experience. It is prophecy that looks more than a thousand years ahead. It is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in fact, Psalm 16 is Jesus's song of confidence. So my goal for us today is for us to take some time hearing Jesus sing this song of confidence. My hope is that together we can hear and gaze at 
the confidence of Jesus himself. And the main points that I want to get to is that Jesus is united. He's confident because he is united forever with the Father. And this unity brings him eternal security and satisfaction. Only after we've heard Jesus singing this song of confidence can we begin to make sense of what it means for us today. And the closing points that I'll eventually make my way to are that we also can be confident because we are united through Christ forever with God. And this unity brings us eternal security and satisfaction. So I'm going to read Psalm 16 and then I'll pray for us. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my portion, is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shield or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. Please be with us now. Please give us the joy of seeing you for who you are. Help us to gaze at you and to even hear you singing this song of confidence over us for your glory and our good. Amen. So um, today is a happy day for the Dakota people that I work with. It's the fourth and final day of the 4th of July Wachipi or Pawa. And about an hour and a half south of here, several hundred Dakota people are gathered in beautiful regalia. There's been four days of singing and dancing and feasting. This is the time for Dakota people to remember that despite enormous adversity, they have persevered and they're still here. And all year long, when Dakota people drive past that place, the Wachipioshkata, or the powwow grounds, that place evokes for them feelings of deep joy. And it's striking that just seven miles to the north, there's another very different place that evokes some very different feelings. Seven miles to the north is the site of a former boarding school. And from the late 1800s all the way until the 1960s, Dakota children were forcibly removed from their homes, forced to attend a school where they were punished severely for speaking their native language. 
subjected to all kinds of cruel treatment for showing any sign of being Indian. Still to this day, when Dakota people drive past that place, it evokes for them feelings of deep loss and sorrow. And places have a way of doing this. Our emotional experiences get anchored to particular places. Our hopes and our joys, our fears get bound up with particular places on the map. And the same was true for Old Testament Israel. The chosen people of God, they too had their happy place and their very unhappy place. So the happy place, of course, is the promised land. Land flowing with milk and honey. The beautiful inheritance that God himself had won for his people. More specifically, within the promised land, the happiest of places was the temple in Jerusalem. A couple times a year, the Jews would gather together. They would gather near the temple in Jerusalem and break forth in exuberant worship. What made the temple in Jerusalem so special, of course, is that God dwelled there in a special and a unique way. And gathering together, the Jewish people would sense the security and satisfaction of his presence, and they would worship him. Now, the unhappy place is Sheol. Cue scary music. It even sounds like a scary word, Sheol. This word and this concept confounds contemporary readers of Scripture. And there is a long, winding rabbit trail that I've promised myself I will not jump into. But the main points are this. Sheol is the house of the dead, the dwelling place of the deceased. Sheol is death itself, not the faint final breath, but the enduring silence that follows. Listen to how the Old Testament talks about Sheol. So this is from Habakkuk 2, verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Part of what makes Sheol so terrifying is its apparent inevitability. Part of the human condition, death awaits everyone. But it's even scarier than that. So, Psalm 6, verse 5, and Isaiah 38, 18 are representative of how Sheol is talked about in the Old Testament. Psalm 6, 5, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? And Isaiah 38, 18, for Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. Throughout the Old Testament, Sheol is characterized as a place devoid of worship. And in this sense, it's the anti or the antithesis of the temple in Jerusalem. To think about Sheol is to think about the prospect of separation from God and all of the loneliness, all of the sorrow that would come with it. It's a very scary place indeed. 
And this is what makes David's claim in verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 16 so incredible. So let's look at verse 9 and 10 of Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. For a thousand years after the reign of King David, these words were in a way an enigma, a bewildering puzzle for the people of God. If David is the singer of this song, if he's the only singer of the song, verses 9 and 10 just don't make sense. As the Apostle Paul himself points out, David did in fact die and he was buried and his flesh saw corruption and decay. If David is the only one singing this song of confidence, then it appears that his confidence was misplaced. But this is not just poetry about David. This is prophecy about the person and work of Jesus Christ. King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gazes across the centuries, peers over the horizon of time, and he glimpses the person and work of Jesus Christ. And throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, we can hear Jesus, in a way, singing this song of confidence. Throughout his public ministry, we can hear Jesus assured of his unity with the Father. Confident because of that unity. Confident because that unity won't be prevailed over even by death itself. Let's look at John 10, 17 and 18. In this passage, Jesus, as often happens, he makes some claims that enrage the Jews and prompt certain people to try to stone him. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down in my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. We can hear Jesus's confidence in the unity he possesses with the father. We can hear his confidence that that unity won't be overcome even by death. And throughout the gospels, we hear this refrain from Jesus all the way until his final breath. His last words in Luke 23, when Jesus cries out with a loud voice, father, Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Psalm 16, this song of confidence, is Jesus' song. His confident, his confident, his confident, there we go. His confident melody as he approaches death. Separation from God, the Father, vulnerability and sorrow. So imagine with me for a moment, Jesus singing this song of confidence. 
the long-awaited Messiah, a thousand years after the reign of David, singing this song of confidence as he approaches Jerusalem on a donkey amid shouts of Hosanna. As he goes to the temple in Jerusalem and with righteous anger clears it out. Imagine Jesus singing Psalm 16 in his head as he has one last meal with his beloved friends. As he contemplates Judas's betrayal. Imagine Jesus singing the refrain of verses 9 and 10 as he's arrested, betrayed with a kiss, as he's flogged, and as he hangs on a cross. Imagine even Jesus singing this confident melody, this song of confidence for three days in the house of death itself while his body lays uncorrupted in Joseph's tomb. Jesus faces death and even separation from God with confidence, assured of his unity with the Father. Jesus was confident because he is united forever with the Father. So I want to talk a little about what this unity looks like in action. We know from our own personal experiences that the presence of another person, the right person, can give us a profound feeling of security and satisfaction. So look at verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 16. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Have you ever found yourself feeling so secure because someone else was close by? A couple months ago, my family flew out to Florida for vacation. We were waiting at the gate in the Fargo airport, waiting for our plane to board. And I am a nervous flyer. 35,000 feet above the Earth's surface, going 500 miles an hour is not my thing. So we're sitting in the gate, and I'm just trying to look kind of normal, trying not to sweat too obviously. And my wife and I both noticed that our four-year-old son was kind of fidgety, and he looked distracted. And I thought, oh no, Rylan is nervous just like I am. And Kate asked Rye, she said, hey, Rye, are you feeling nervous about flying? And Rye looked at Kate as if he had been asked an absurd question. And he said, I'm not nervous. I'm going to sit with Dad. Rye, so confident, so secure because of his dad's presence. Meanwhile, his dad is trying not to have a panic attack. Okay. But the presence of the right person can give us a sense of security. Jesus is confident that he is united with a father forever that is infinitely better. 
than Rylan's dad. He's confident that this unity will give him eternal security. Let's look at the last verse of Psalm 16. This beautiful closing to the song of confidence. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have you ever found yourself so satisfied because of the presence of another person? Last week, my family went on another vacation to South Carolina. We were there for a week, my mother and father-in-law celebrating 50 years of marriage, and they wanted more than anything to have their six children and 19 grandchildren under one roof for a week. So that's what we did, all 34 of us, for eight days under one roof. It was chaos, beautiful chaos. And what this meant for my kids is they got to hang out with cousins. And my kids love their cousins. I mean, to even utter the word cousin in my home is like Disneyland. I was blown away for eight days. All three of my kids, they went to bed so late. Woke up so early. Spent all day running, jumping, swimming in the sun. They collectively mutinied and reached some kind of secret agreement that they would not nap for eight days. I don't even think they talked to me. They forgot what I looked like for eight days. I mean, they were so satisfied with the presence of their cousins. They didn't have time to sleep. They didn't have time to talk to dad. They just wanted to be with their cousins. The presence of the right person can satisfy us so much. And in Psalm 16, in this song of confidence, we hear Jesus assured that he is united forever with the Father in a unity that will give him eternal satisfaction. Psalm 16, this song, this song of confidence is beautiful. Part of what it makes it so amazing is that while it's Jesus who sings it, stop and consider that he sings it for us. Jesus approaches death, certain death, with confidence. And because of that, we have life. Jesus is separated from the Father. And because of that, we are brought near. Jesus endures all the vulnerability and sorrow of Sheol so that you can enjoy all the security and satisfaction of this unity with God. Jesus sings this song of confidence, but he sings it for us. So let's look together at John 17. 
This is from the high priestly prayer. Jesus publicly says this prayer just before he's arrested. And listen for how the unity that Jesus enjoys is our unity also. So, John 17, 20 through 24. The high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Through his life and ministry, through his intermediating on our behalf, Jesus has brought us in to this secure and satisfying unity that he's enjoyed from the foundation of the world and before it. Because through Christ, we are united forever with God. We can be confident. Because we're united with God, we will enjoy eternal security and satisfaction in his presence. And Jesus sings this song of confidence, but he sings it for us. I want to close with two points of application here about confidence. I would imagine that many of you, like me, often feel like your life is beset with a lack of confidence, which is really to say a lack of faith. How often do you look back at the last week or the last month or year even, frustrated that you trusted so little? Frustrated that you were so anxious and afraid instead of confident. Confidence is a tricky thing because we can't manufacture it. Right? There's no confidence button that we can push. If there was, we would push it. How do we grow in confidence? Kate, my wife, often teases me. Uh, as we typically sit in the back there on Sunday mornings. I have an okay voice, but I cannot harmonize. I mean, I can't find the harmony myself. So here's a situation that often plays out. Kyle is up here singing a melody, and me in the back with a fresh burst of misguided confidence, I decide today's the day. I'm going to harmonize. And I begin to harmonize. But what inevitably happens is I'm singing the same words, but just a different melody. Right? It's the same words, but a different song. And everyone around me is confused. And Kate is laughing. 
Kate, however, is a much better singer, and she can harmonize. And so if I'm sitting in the back and Kate decides that she wants to harmonize, probably so that Josh doesn't try, but if she decides to harmonize and I just sit there and I listen, I just listen to the harmony for a bit, then I can imitate Kate and then I can harmonize just fine. And that's a lot like the way confidence works. We cannot manufacture our own song of confidence. To grow in confidence, we need to hear King Jesus approaching death and separation from God, singing his song for us. The answer, as is often the case, is to gaze at Jesus or to listen as he sings his song. One more closing point of application for those of you who are in community, in a CG here at River City. You know that part of doing life with people means coming alongside someone who is suffering, experiencing grief, sorrow, crippling anxiety, fear, all those hardships of life. And if you've ever come alongside someone who's really suffering, then you know that all of your very smart and well-intentioned advice is basically useless. How do we help someone who's suffering? How do we love our brothers and sisters who are enduring trials? The best thing that we can offer one another is to help each other hear Jesus' song of confidence as he faces death and separation from God. To hear Jesus singing the song that he sings on our behalf. If we can help each other hear this song of confidence, then we can love one another in ways that build up the church, that make much of Jesus. We can be confident because we are united forever with God. And this unity will give us eternal security and satisfaction. Jesus has done this, and we can hear it in his song of confidence. I'll pray for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for walking the road to Calvary, for walking the road even to Sheol. On our behalf. Thank you for your song of confidence. Lord, thank you that we get the joy of participating in your unity. God, help us to hear the refrain of these words as we endure hardship. Help us to love one another and to honor you by helping each other hear this song and hear this refrain. In your name, amen.